0: I just want to thank you so much uh, just for taking the time out of your day this morning to join us as we worship God and as we seek him and as we pray. And I, I want to let you know something about what we believe is happening right here and right now. All right, what we believe is happening is that the church of Jesus Christ is having a massive opportunity to follow him with a greater faith and a greater dedication, and a greater commitment than we probably ever have in our lifetime. And I want you to know that what we believe in, the thing that we're saying, the thing that we're holding true, and I want you to get it pinpointed in your brain, whether you're a part of Pursuit Church or you're not, I want you to understand that we might not be together in person, but we are truly one family in many locations. And like Pastor Taylor said in the worship prayer, we believe when one or more are gathered together in his name, there he is with us. And that's what we believe is happening. It doesn't matter if you're not in the room. It doesn't matter if you're alone. It doesn't matter if you're a small group. It doesn't matter where you are, what time it is right now. What we believe is that the Holy Spirit is moving and has an absolute powerful moment waiting for you in the next little while. Uh, And I want you to, uh, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. Verse 13, and while you looked that up on your phone or flipped to it in your Bible, uh, I just want to take you back to a moment that you probably hated growing up, and that was when uh, you walked into class, and there was a teacher that just had a nice test waiting for you when he got there. When I was a kid, uh, they called it a pop quiz, uh, and I had this one ninth grade math teacher. Uh, she hated children. I don't know why she chose to go in the profession of teaching, uh, but she would strategically... Give us a pop quiz at some point during the week. Every week, but we never knew when it was, and we never knew what it was going to be about. It could be about anything that we studied in the last three weeks. And so every day, I walked into this class just dreading the reality, just looking to see if it was going to be on the desk. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was like my ninth grade math teacher, but I am saying that Jesus had a tendency uh, to just surprise uh, his disciples and his boys with some pretty dramatic thoughts and pretty dramatic questions. And this might might be the most dramatic pop quiz uh, that he ever gave them, uh, but what it led to was an epic promise uh, that will highly affect your life and my life and our culture right here today. So this is Matthew. 16, verse 13, I hope you're with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll probably be on the screen. So here we go. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want to point out this reality to you really fast, that from the day Jesus showed up on the planet to right now, wherever you are, everybody, almost everybody throughout history and in our universe had an opinion about who Jesus Christ is. This is uh, uh, something everybody can just pop off an answer to. The culture has a response to who they believe Jesus is, Uh, Education seems to have a response uh, of who Jesus is. All kinds of different politicians seem to have a response to who they think Jesus is. Our cousins and our family and our sons and our daughters and our parents and our grandparents, we all seem to have a response to who Jesus is. Uh, And I want you to understand it was easy for the disciples to start throwing out all these other names because it's easy uh, to throw out other people's opinions about very important questions. But then Jesus, they thought they got away with an easy test, but then Jesus dropped the bomb directly into their heart, directly right in their face, and he said, but who do you say that I am? Everybody else says that, you know, I could be John the Baptist, or I could be Elijah, or I could be one of the other prophets, or I could be some great teacher, or I could be something, uh, but who do you say that I am? Uh, And nobody responded as quickly uh, as the first question. The first question was, who does everybody else say that I am? And they all just kind of started popping off different answers. But on this one, there was only one person that spoke up. And I'm reading into this, but I just feel like it wasn't instantly. I feel like there was a moment of thought there. Because I think that they were aware of the, the seriousness of this moment. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And the only one that spoke up was Simon Peter. And he said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of the living God. This was Peter uh, confessing and declaring for the first time in Peter's life that Jesus was truly the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That he was the one that God sent down to this earth to save us from our sins. That he was the one they were waiting on. And I want you to see the, the, the power of this moment. This was not just the first time that Simon Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ. This was the first time in human history when a human being confessed that Jesus was the Christ. When this was the first time when someone put their faith, truly put their faith in Jesus. And I want you to understand something. This is not the message today, but I want you to understand something. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your past is, The reality of it is this, that you will have to wrestle with this question, and this will be the greatest, most powerful question that you will have to wrestle with through the course of your life. Who do you believe Jesus Christ really is? And I want you to know, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if your faith isn't in Christ... I want you to know that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to this earth to die for your sins, and that his love for you has been there long before you were born. It's been there through every dark moment of your life. It's been there through every single one of your sins, and there is nothing preventing you right here and right now from putting your faith in Jesus Christ and being saved. And I would challenge you, if you cannot confidently answer that question, who do you think that Jesus Christ is? What do you say about Jesus? I would challenge you right here, right now, wrestle with that question in your heart and in your mind until you can come to a conclusion. But to everybody else, to those of you who are watching, uh, those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, I want you to see the reality and the power of what is taking place in this moment. Jesus never does anything uh, by accident. There was nothing that he ever said, nothing that he ever did uh, that wasn't uh, in, unintentional. He, he had a plan and he asked this question, the way he asked this question for a very specific reason uh, and he was checking something to see something and as soon as he got the answer he was looking for, he then laid out something that I believe is one of the most powerful promises and one of the most encouraging promises that Jesus Christ ever made made in scripture. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he answered. And he said, I believe that you're Christ, you're the son of the living God. In verse 18, this was Jesus' response to Peter. So Peter, you got to hang on to this. Peter just said, first time in Peter's life, first time in human history, you are the savior, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus' response in 17 and 18 was this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I want you to see a difference in 17 and 18. In 17, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. In verse 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon. And in verse 18, he said, I say that you are Peter. So in verse 17, he called him Simon. And in verse 18, he called him Peter. There was a transition in this moment. I believe that Jesus did this uh, for more than a few reasons, but I believe the reality of what was taking place and the most simple but the most powerful reason Jesus said in 17 Simon and in 18 Peter was because something significantly shifted in Simon's life right here in this moment. When Simon Peter, Simon the guy that was a fisherman, Simon uh, the, the, the guy uh, who worked for his father when Jesus found him, Simon, uh, Simon the fisherman transitioned into Peter, this totally different man, this totally different creation, this totally different guy. The reality of it is, is that Simon was born a fisherman, but Peter died a preacher. There was something that transitioned between 17 and 18, and that was the confession of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Simon, you're blessed because my Father who is in heaven, he's revealed to your heart, he's revealed to your mind the reality of who I am, that I am the Savior and that I'm the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, because the Father who is in heaven has revealed this truth to you. But now that you have accepted that truth and you've declared it and you, you've put it out there and you've put your faith in me, you are now Peter. And you now belong to something different. You're now in a different era of your life. You're no longer Simon the fisherman. You're now Peter the preacher. You're now Peter my my servant. You're now Peter my son. You're now Peter. Simon is gone. Peter is here. And I want to point out that there was a promise attached to this reality in Peter's life because I believe what was taking place in Peter's life was symbolic about what was about to take place in the earth. Jesus came, well, I'll just read it to you really fast. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus is transitioning from Peter's life, from this one-on-one conversation with Peter uh, to the reality of why Jesus came to the earth. I believe, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you believe that Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of the world and to offer a way back into a relationship with the God who created us. But he also came to do something else, deeper, uh, past that moment. A lot of people believe uh, that salvation is like the end of things. Salvation is the beginning beginning of the life you were supposed to live the entire time you're on this earth. And Jesus says, I want you to know, uh, Simon, who is now Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is one of those statements that's in the Bible. This is on coffee cups all over the country. I'm sure this has been on T-shirts. And if you grew up uh, and you went to church, I'm sure you've heard this scripture a hundred times. But there's a few things that I think that we need to point out and make sure that we focus on so that we do not miss the reality of what Jesus is saying and the power of the truth that Jesus is putting out in the universe. So he says to Peter, upon this rock... I will build my church. So I want you to understand two words right here in verse 18. You have to understand when he points to rock, what he means by that, and when he says church, what he means by that. So start with church. The word church uh, in the original language uh, that the Bible was written in the New Testament was Greek, and the original word is the word ecclesia. ekklesia. Ekklesia uh, was like a a political movement. It was a word uh, in the Greek in Jesus' day that described a movement of people or a gathering of people. And this gathering, this ekklesia would always be built around an idea, a political idea, or maybe a politician or a leader or a general or a chief. Uh, And everybody uh, was kind of a part of an ekklesia, one or the other. It was like being a part of a club. It was like being a part of somebody that believed in something, Uh, like in our country and all of our politics. These are ecclesias, these are gatherings, these are parties uh, that are put together, built around an idea, built around a leader, uh, built around you know, something for the future. This is the reality of what Jesus was saying. He says, I'm starting my own gathering. I'm starting my own ecclesia. I'm starting my own movement of people. And he says, in this ecclesia, this movement, it's going to be built around one idea and one idea alone, and that's the rock idea. He said, the foundation of this is going to be, Peter, what you just said. The foundation of the ecclesia that I'm going to that I'm going to start, this this foundation of this movement, this gathering of people that's going to come together, they're going to come together around this one singular idea that I am exactly who you said I am, Peter, that I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am the Christ, I am the Son of the living God, and anybody who puts their faith in me will be saved. If anybody, Romans says, uh, puts their faith in me, confesses me, believes in me in their heart, and confesses me uh, with their mouth, that they will be saved, that's what Jesus says, and he goes, and I want you to understand that when you put your faith in me and when you get saved, that you are now a part of this thing that Jesus called an ecclesia or a gathering or a movement. Sometimes it's confusing because the word church today, uh, it's a different word. Uh, When we think about the word church, what we really think about for the most part is we think about the buildings we drive down the road and we see the steeples on top and we think about the bell towers, Uh, we think about denominations, Uh, we think about religion, Uh, we think about all kinds of stuff. Uh, But I want to take that word and I almost want to take the word church and I want to throw it away just for a second and I want you to understand the vast difference between the word ecclesia, between the word that Jesus used in this moment and the way that we think about church. Jesus said, I'm not building an organization. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I- I'm not building four walls and a roof and put a steeple on top. Jesus didn't say, I- I'm building a different religion. Jesus said, I am building an ecclesia. I'm building a gathering. I'm building a movement. And that movement is going to be built around the idea that I am the son of the living God and that I'm the Savior. And then he makes a promise about this ecclesia. He makes a promise about this gathering. He makes a promise about this movement. He says, this ecclesia that I'm building, this ecclesia that I'm about to start, that I'm going to die for, this ecclesia, this movement, this gathering, I want you to know something about it, that it's going to grow so strong and it's going to grow so powerful and it's going to grow so epic and it's going it's to grow and expand through the generations that not even death itself will overpower it. or we'll prevail against it. That's the reality of what Jesus is saying about this movement that he's about to start. And I want you to know uh, that if you didn't realize it, uh, that you are not, no matter where you go to church, that you are not truly a part of a denomination, that you are not truly a part of a religious system, that you are not truly a part of a building, that you are not truly a part of anything that this culture, this world offers up, that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of a revolution, you are a part of a movement, you are a part of an ecclesia, a gathering that Jesus Christ started and died for And that comes with some deep-seated promise. He said, you are a part of something right here, right now, that will grow so strong that not even the gates of hell or death itself will prevail against it. That's what you are a part of if your faith is in Jesus Christ. It's one of the most powerful promises that Jesus ever makes. But I want you to understand the reality of this. Jesus is not making this promise to you. He's not making this promise to me. He's not making this promise to us. He's making this promise to Peter. But he's making this promise about you. This is not a promise to you. This is a promise about you. Sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we don't think about it like this. Jesus was telling Peter, he says, I'm going to start something today. And a little bit later from this point, I'm going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. But I'm starting this movement. And this movement is going to grow so powerful through the ages that it will never, ever stop. And I want you to just think about this just for a second. Right now, wherever you are, if your faith is in Jesus, your life... In my life, in the fact that we are standing here, I'm on this stage, and I'm preaching his word to you right now is evidence and proof that the promise made to Peter about us has stood true. 2,000 years later, his church moves on. 2,000 years later, we are still just as strong as we were the day that he started the movement. 2,000 years later, after thousands of years of persecution, after thousands of years of the rise and fall of governments, after thousands of years of the culture turning uh, the Christians inside out, after thousands of years of other religions waging war against the name of Christ, after thousands of years, the name of Jesus is still just as much alive today day, and the church is just as strong today as it was the day Jesus made this promise. And you and me are evidence, and we are, we are the reality of that promise living out through the years. I think sometimes when we look at this promise, we get excited like it's a promise to us. It's a promise about us. The fact that we woke up this morning, and that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're still moving as a light in this dark world, and we're still walking as a city on a hill, is evidence and true that our Jesus is not a liar that when he said 2,000 years ago that I'm going to build a movement and that movement's going to be so strong that it moves through the generations that it will never stop not even death will snuff it out you and me are the proof and the evidence that that powerful promise is still at play because you and me are alive and saved right here right now and we are just as much a part of that revolution and that movement as Peter was the day that it started but I want you to understand that Jesus gave us this promise and made this promise about us so that we would never forget who we truly are. Right after verse 18 and verse 19, he makes this statement. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that, that's always messed me up. I haven't preached on that a lot, to be honest with you. There's some controversy that goes in and out of that. The rest of the scripture says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now I want you to understand, I'm not gonna preach or teach through the whole verse of 19 uh, because it gets really deep and that's a different message for a different day. But I do wanna point out the most simple truth in verse 19 uh, and it's the most powerful truth in verse 19 is that Jesus said that being a part of of this movement. This was the, the, the metaphor that he used. This is the thing that he said to Peter. He says, Peter, being a part of this movement means that I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that that somehow, some way, there's something in our life, there's something being a part of this movement where we inherit on some level in some way the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that that something within us. And something about who we are in Jesus might just have the ability to unlock the kingdom of heaven and the doors of heaven for the people around us. And, and I want you to know something about Peter. Uh, Peter went on from this moment. Uh, several uh, years later uh, and he began to travel the earth and he began to speak and to teach and open up the light and the love of Jesus Christ and took the gospel uh, to many different places and ultimately uh, this message of truth and this gospel began to spread uh, through all of Asia, through Paul and and and, and as the more that people got saved, the more that it spread, the more powerful uh, that it became uh, and eventually the whole world, I believe the whole world by the end of all will know the name of jesus christ whether they reject it or not that's between them and the god of the universe but what jesus says i want you to understand this movement is so powerful that nothing will ever stop it we have nothing to fear this is the reality of those who are saved in christ he says you have nothing to fear not even death if you lose your physical life you still have eternity but i want you to know that on some level you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven And this is something that the Lord put in my heart, and I want to share with you, and I want to challenge you. I know, I know that the world around us right now is dark, and I know that it's going to get darker. I know that there's stress, maybe like some people have never experienced in their life. I know that there's anxiety, and I know that there's fear. I know that there's going to be physical struggles. I know that there's going to be sicknesses. I know that there's going to be massive financial issues. I know families are going to lose jobs and get laid off. I know there will be people who struggle to literally put food on the table. And I know all this. But I want you to understand something about who you are. You are the son and the daughter of a living God. And he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to save you. And he says, but while you're on this earth, I don't want you to forget that I am in the process of saving the world, that I started a revolution, that I started a movement, and that you are a part of that movement, that you don't go to the ecclesia, you don't go to the church, that you are the church, and you have something inside of you that the people around you need. And Jesus said, I believe that two of the main points Jesus is pointing out to Peter and to the future of the church, that's you and me, saying that I am going to move in your life so powerfully that nothing can stop you. That's what Job says. Nothing can thwart the purposes of God. Nothing can. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a virus, not a pandemic, not an economic collapse. Nothing, nothing can stop God from doing what God's doing. But I believe that Jesus wants us to see the reality of who we are and the opportunity and the responsibility that rests within our hearts and within our minds. That we have Jesus, the message of Jesus. That we have within us the love of Christ. That we will have within us the spirit of the living God. That we have a power that's inside of us. And we have a promise that Jesus made about us. That if we could just recognize the reality of who we are and the reality of what we've been called to and the opportunity that we have, the reality of it is is that when the world gets darker and darker and darker, brighter shines the light of Jesus Christ. And right now, the people around you, if your faith is in Jesus, the people around you, they need to see your strength and your faith in Jesus Christ. They need to see you. They don't need to see your fear. They don't need to see your stress. They don't need to see your anxiety. They don't need to see you panic. They need you. They need to see you put your trust in Jesus. They need the, the love that rests inside of you. They need the Holy Spirit to move through your life to the people around you. We have a massive opportunity as the movement of Jesus Christ right here and right now. Maybe the greatest opportunity in our lifetime, if you're younger, maybe the greatest opportunity in our lifetime to change the world around us for the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. What I believe is happening right here and right now over the last few days, we have got a virus moving across the earth that's freaking everybody out. We will have people that are sick. We will have people that die and lose their life. We have the economy uh, that has just, the bottom has fallen out All right, we've got people that'll lose their jobs. There's going to be so many struggles, but this is what happens, and I want you to hear me, and it sounds bad, like this is a negative thing, and and I'm not, all those things, it is what it is. It's not good, but what is going to happen right here and right now is all of the things that the world around you put their trust in last week, they're not going to have that anymore to trust. Everybody that had their faith and their trust and their dependency in money and in finances, they're seeing right now how insufficient and how untrustworthy the wealth of this world is. Everybody that's putting their faith and trust in princes or chiefs and presidents and kings and kingdoms, we're seeing how helpless nations and kings and kingdoms really are when it comes to life in this world. There's a lot of people, I believe, that sit on the pews of churches every single week, and they have put their faith in religion, but not in Jesus Christ. That they're a part of a dead religion, not a movement of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, they will see that empty religion. When you start to try to lean on empty religion, it'll crumble like a cardboard box. But I want you to know that people will be desperate, people will be hungry, people will be thirsty, people will be looking for God, and the closest thing that they will see around them is you and the way that you live your life in this moment. And I want to encourage you, and I want to tell you, I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is moving amidst all this craziness and all this chaos and all this destruction, that God has a plan. He always has a plan. And whether all of this is from God or not doesn't matter. That's between God and the universe. But what I know about God is that he will use every waking moment in this earth to turn your heart to Jesus, that he will take every ounce of evil in this world and he will work through even the darkest times to expose the name and the love of Jesus to the world. And I want you to know that in this dark time, we can depend and we can lean on our King and on our Savior, Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, I would challenge you, throw the weight of your life, your marriage, your kids, your family, and your future on the weight of Jesus. He is the only one that can bear it. I have no fear in me whatsoever. And you should have no fear in you whatsoever. David says, whom shall we fear? When the Lord is for us, who can be against us? When God's hand is at work, what can can beat us down? Jesus has already promised not even death itself will prevail against what he's doing. I believe this here, right now, you and me. We are evidence and we are proof that the promise of Jesus is true. And we need to stand within that promise and start moving forward with faith and not fear. Dependent totally on Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to move in power through us. Jesus is in the middle of saving the world today just like he was 2,000 years ago. And right now we need the church to start being the church and to stand in faith to be the love and to be the light of Jesus. We have an opportunity to change the world around us. They will be listening, and they will be watching greater than they ever have in our lifetime. I love you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray, Lord, right now. I pray, Father, that you will just let your spirit rest in every single room. Rest in every single small group. Rest in every single family. Every single person or group that falls under the sound of my voice, I pray, Holy Spirit, right here and right now, God, let them feel your presence. Let them feel your spirit. I pray, Father, that you will just consume them Father, that you will speak to their hearts, God, that you will revive their souls, that you will empower them. Holy Spirit, that you will give them a boldness, Father, that you will shake the fear and the anxiety and the stress from their life. God, as they bow down to you, as they worship you, as they pray to you, Father, I'd say, God, please, Lord, move in power, take their fear and crash it down and replace it with faith. Great faith, Father. I believe that you are moving, God, the same way you were moving 2,000 years ago. I believe that your church, your ecclesia, your gathering, your movement, your revelation is more stronger, more powerful today than it ever has been. And I pray, Lord, that we take this moment as the true church of Jesus Christ and we stand up, Father, and we live faithfully trusting you, God, in this dark time. Let us be the light, Father. Let your love shine through us, God. Use us to change the world around us. Father, we love you and we trust you in your holy name. Amen.